Welcome to the Unstoppable Coach Podcast. I'm Millette Jones, and if you want to start or grow a thriving coaching business, this is the place to be. Join me every Monday for inspiration and action when I interview top coaches and expert entrepreneurs who share strategies and secrets for building a successful business. Are you ready to be unstoppable? Let's go. Welcome to the Unstoppable Coach Podcast, where inspiration and action come together. Today, we're joined by Steve Smith. Following a stellar 30-year career in the consumer products manufacturing industry, Steve converted his knowledge and experience into a successful business and executive coaching company. He established Growth Source Coaching in 2008 in California. Steve instructs business clients worldwide and has served over 400 to date. His specialties in leadership, management, and marketing make him an ideal coach to help professionals preparing to become world-class business owners or company executives. Steve, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Now, before we jump into more about your business, I would love it if you would tell us just a little bit about you, maybe some of the things you like to do when you're not working. Okay. Um, I am a, uh, I have many hats. Um, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm now a grandfather. Uh, I have uh, three brothers scattered all over the country. Um, and so, uh, you know, family is a big part of, um, of my life. And, um, I have to say that when I decided to get into coaching and out of my formal career, uh, I had to really give a lot of thought to how is this going to impact the family, you know, obviously financially as well as time and focus and things like that. Uh, but uh, my wife and I have a few uh, a few hobbies, a few things that we kind of get together on. Um, one, we um, we adopt greyhounds. We we love dogs. Both of us have always had dogs all of our lives. And uh, at one point, we were introduced to that breed, and it's a, a phenomenal dog to have. Uh, uh, you know, most of these dogs get pulled off of tracks, and so you're not totally sure about what you're getting in the moment. But the ones we've had so far have been wonderful. So um, we that's our, our our kind of you know animal husbandry side. The other side is we're um, we're we're roadies, we're motorcycle people on the weekends. So uh, we do a lot of traveling throughout the state because California is a wonderful state to, for that kind of, you know, for that kind of travel. And uh, we're part of a touring organization and we go a lot of places on the two-wheeler. Now, you really struck a chord with me on that Greyhound rescue because I do rescue as well. I have uh, three rescued beagles right now and and one mm-hmm. Bassett who was not really a rescue, but I ended up with him anyway. So I have my little hound pack that I absolutely love. <laughs> yeah, they do grow on you. Don't exactly. They? So let's jump into a little bit more about your business. Now you've got 30 years experience in manufacturing consumer products. How did you make that shift into coaching? Well, that um, that's an interesting story because when I left the consumer products industry. Um, at that point, the biggest problem was the travel. Uh, you know, I was just, I was everywhere but home for most of the week throughout about an 18-year period. And I had just gotten to, you know, I just said, you know what, there's got to be another way to do this. So I had every intention of looking for a kind of a local company here in California, maybe with a more restricted marketplace, and just trying to replicate what I had been doing all the other years on a, on a local level. And quite by accident, while I was filling out 
an application or a profile, a, an executive marketing website called The Ladders. It's been around for years. Um, you know, when you, when you use these websites and you put your stuff on there for free, uh, you know, there's a cost associated. Most people don't realize it, but when, before you go down to the bottom and, and hit post, there's all these, these, you know, advertisements, things that people want to know if you're interested in, and they're all checked to yes. And so if you want to keep from getting spammed to death, you have to go back and uncheck all this stuff before you hit post. Otherwise, you're going to get phone calls from people. And so I did because that's what I always do. But I didn't scroll down far enough, and I missed one of the very, very bottom. (laughs) And two hours later, I get a call from a woman in Texas who is in the business of helping executives find businesses that they would be good for. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. You know, let's see where it goes. So I ended up working with her for about six or eight weeks. She was the one that came back to me and she says, you know, I've, you've done all these profiling tests and these diagnostics and, you know, all these interviews I've done with you and things I've looked at. She said, this is perfect for you. You, you should be a business coach. There's a huge industry out there for this. Well, at the time she said that, I had no idea what she was talking about. I mean, in the corporate world, Executive coaching has been around for a long time, but it's usually been reserved for the, the top level people, you know, directors, VPs, C-level folks. Um, and so business coaching, I'm thinking, okay, what is that? And so I started doing a little research and she provided me with some information to look at. And I realized, wow, I have actually been doing this for 30 years. I just wasn't paid for it. Mm. Okay. And so that's where I, I moved into it. And uh, the, the very first thing I got into it, I actually bought into a coaching franchise that was very small. They were only a couple of years developed, but I loved their methodology. I loved their approach. And so I bought into that. And unfortunately, they were too young and they just didn't survive. You know, in, in March of 2011, they finally closed the doors. And of course, that was an interesting scenario in itself, because if you're a business coach and you work for a business coaching company and the company can't survive, what does that say about your about your talent? <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the type of coaching that you do. So generally, you work with business owners and executives. Is that right? Yeah. I, the way I, I couch it is it's if you're a business owner, a business operator, an entrepreneur, or somebody in an executive level role. And that could be, you know, people that are aspiring to get to that level. You know, they're, they're on a track within a company. But basically, if you're in a position in a, in a business organization and you have authority and responsibility for growing and, and making sure that that organization moves forward, then you're in my target zone. And, and I've reserved that particular area because I want to work with people who, if they, can tune up themselves and start operating in a more world-class fashion in their own domain, they will be able to impact so many other people around them. So is your client usually the individual or is it the company that hires you? Well, it's almost always, in fact, I can say that it's always an individual that I work with, but it's not always the individual that hires me. Um, Sometimes I will get calls from, uh, organizations. They could be, you know, the director of HR, could be a general manager, could be somebody kind of at the top end that has somebody in their organization that they think a lot of, but the individual's not performing where they think they should be. Or maybe they want to tune them up and there's they just don't have the bandwidth in the company to do that themselves. So they might reach out on that individual's behalf 
uh, and, and vet me like they do with other coaches that they call to, to find out about. Um, and that takes place probably 60% of the time. The other 40%, I can get calls from people who just know they need to improve in what they're doing. Uh, their company may have given them uh, maybe some little, you know, some, some little ideas about, you know, gee, if you could do this or do that. And so they just take the initiative themselves. But that's usually 40% of the time. But the, the majority of the time, it's, it's the company that's out there looking for coaching, a coaching resource to help tune up their people. So let's dig in a little bit into the, the business, like how, how mm-hmm. you got started with it, some of the, well, some of the ups and downs. So let's talk a little bit about maybe a low point that you experienced when you were getting your coaching business started. <laughs> okay. So there's, there's a, there's a few of them, <laughs> but I will tell you the one that was probably the biggest shock to the system. And it was when the franchise company that I had been with for two and a half years. And at that time that it, it went bust, I figured I'd probably sunk about a hundred grand into it. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, the purchase of the franchise, the fees, all the startup costs, all the other ancillary things, you know, it all came to about that number. And of course, when I get a call from the founder of the company, because at that time I had moved up and I was the head of the coaching department and the consulting team in addition to running my own franchise. And so I was on their kind of management council. And so when they decided to do this, they got calls to everybody and said, okay, here's what's happening. So that call was a total of about eight minutes long. And so I hang up the phone and I'm thinking, okay, it's all gone. You know, the I mean, what do you do with a franchise when – the headquarter company that supports that franchise has closed their doors. So I'm sitting there thinking, what do I do now? And of course my, my wife who can see these kind of things coming, uh, she basically told me, she said, you're always telling me that clients stay way beyond their contractual timeframe because they like working with you. Why don't you just do this on your own? And I'm thinking, wow, a a eureka moment. You know, I never actually (laughs) thought about going out on my own. Uh, and, and so that's really what kind of boomeranged me into where I am now. But in that moment, you, you start thinking, you know, oh, my God, what am I going to do? You start getting very um, fearful of, of, of doing anything else because you're afraid that you're going to have the same outcome. And so sometimes you need perspective from the outside to kind of level that field and say, well, I've basically been doing this my own myself anyway. Um, most people don't realize that with a lot of franchises, just because you have that franchise name and you're paying them every month for that doesn't mean they're actually helping you to a great degree. You're still having to go out and operate the business just like any other business owner. And, but sometimes people don't look at it that way. And so I needed to look at my situation a little differently so I could repurpose most of what I had purchased and, and, and figure out a way to serve it up and build it the way I wanted it. So let's talk a little bit about that time right after you got that news. What did you do to pick yourself up? What did you do to kind of get your business going? Well, the first thing I had to do was get over the idea that I couldn't do this myself. Right. Okay. And, And the reason I got into the franchise in the beginning was because they had the model already built out. They had all the material. They had all the, the books, the manuals, the, the, the system. Uh, and it was very, very well done. And, and, you know, I still look back on it finally today because it was a great way to, uh, you know, to help clients in all aspects of keeping themselves in the game when it comes to running a business. Um, I had to sit there and think, okay, am, am I capable of doing that myself? And, and I realized 
well, yeah, I mean, I've got all the tools. Now I just have to decide which ones to keep and which ones I don't need and how I'm going to create the path going forward. And and the, the big thing I realized, because sometimes you have to really kind of go back and almost look at things from a third-party perspective and say, okay, what was missing? What what wasn't there that caused this outcome to be the way it, it was? And what I realized was they were really, really big on on mindset, on getting people more in tune with thinking and operating like a business owner. Really, really good with marketing and sales. Mm -hmm. So mindset, marketing, and selling. Get your head right, figure out where your revenue is coming from, and just make sure you've always got revenue coming in the door, and and pretty much everything will take care of itself. Well, the one big piece that was missing was, was management. And I think to a large degree, that was what actually brought the company down. Mm. So I thought, all right, if I look back at my own career, most of what I did was in various areas of management, marketing management, sales management, operations, things like that. I thought, okay, I can't go forward with a carbon copy of what didn't work. I've got to go forward with a new, improved, better approach to do this. So that's when I bolted together leadership, which is all people, management, which is all systems and processes, and marketing, which is revenue. And so that's how I came up with the three-pronged approach that I use now. And once I got my arms around it and I realized, okay, there's value in this. There's a market out there for this. That kind of helped bring back the vision and the excitement that got sucked away in an instant when I found out the franchise was gone. (laughs) How do you find your clients? How do you reach out to the community or or are you are you a local business? Let's start there. Do you are most of the folks that you work with local, or do you work with people in different parts of the world? Um, I have had uh, quite a few clients around the globe. Um, currently, I'm only working with one client in Spain, and everybody else is around the U.S. Uh, but you know that's all subject to change, just depending on who connects up with all the many places I can be found on the internet. So what I decided was. There wasn't, even though where I'm living in Orange County, California, there are thousands and thousands of businesses here, large and small, that I could, I could go after, which I do. But I just realized that based on the way my coaching model worked, which is not totally unique, there's a lot of coaches out there that, that provide their services over the phone or through some kind of video conferencing service. And, and I basically do the same thing. Um, I thought, okay, there's really no reason for me to just draw you know, the backyard fence around Orange County, I can basically go anywhere anybody can tap into a website. And so I've always looked at my business as global in nature uh, because I have served and continue to serve clients that are in other countries. Um, but the thing I had to get over first, and I, I, this, is, this is another interesting little story, the very first thing I did was I started going out to networking groups because the one thing I realized in the the corporate environment, when you're in a particular industry track, um, you don't really networking. You know, you go to industry functions and you go to other things that have to do with your business. But, you know, people that are in consumer products manufacturing, they don't go to the local chamber. There's just no reason to be there. So I had to rethink, where's my audience now? Where are the people that I either want to know myself or I want them to know me or I want to find out if there's a collaboration potential. So I had to kind of rethink where I was going to go and, and what I was going to spend my time doing. And so one of the very first events I went to was a was a chamber luncheon. 
And, and, uh, you know, I walked into this uh, hotel, you know, uh, uh, you know, conference room, big, big room, auditorium style room. And there was like 120 people walking around this place of all sizes and shapes. And so I picked a table and I sat down and lo and behold, of the eight people at each table, five other of the ones at this table that I was sitting at were coaches. <laughs> and I'm going, Oh my God, how many are in here? And, uh, and so, you know, the, the second thing that happens is you start getting this mentality of, oh, my gosh, there's too much competition. How am I be able to get my share? Mm-hmm. And over time, what I realized was everybody had a completely different method of trying to find clients. And most people, and I have to say this in my own industry because I love coaching and, and I admire people that go into this business, but most coaches think way too small when it comes to marketing their business. Okay, well, let, let's expand on that a little bit. What, what does that mean? Okay. What that means is, and I can say this because I've run into a number of people that have come and gone in the coaching industry. And typically what they do is when they, when they get introduced to it, they, they start learning about it and they start researching it and they start getting close to the idea that, wow, this is something I could do. The first thing they think is, I just want to coach people. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's where the love is. That's the, the, the technical aspect of what you're doing. You're working with individuals to help them improve in some area of their life or their business or whatever. That's where they stop. And so what they tend to start thinking is, gee, if I could just get uh, a job with a large company and be in their HR department and coach all their employees, that would be perfect. So they're, they're thinking like an employee of another company right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And so what I tell people who come to, I have people come to me every once in a while and say, gee, you know, can you talk to me about how you got into this? I'm, I'm thinking about it. And the first thing I ask them is, do you love coaching enough to eventually let it go? Hmm. And, you know, of course, you get the, the deer in the headlights kind of response. <laughs> well, if you could see me, that's what I just did. <laughs> right. right, right, right. And, and I said, the reason I'm saying that is because if, if you build this thing and you get to the point where it gets big enough that you can start bringing other people into your organization, you cease to be a coach of record. You're now the business owner of the organization that's supporting all the other coaches. Mm, and you right. have to think that way if you're going to be able to make this a sustainable occupation for some length of time. Yeah, that really makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, how does someone get to that point? Is it, do you feel like that's just um, a mindset shift or is it sort of almost like it's inherent? Some people are just built to be entrepreneurs, business owners, and some people aren't. Yeah. Well, I mean, that kind of gets back to that classic, you know, uh, debate about is it nature or is it nurture? And I believe that in any skill-developed occupation, 80% of it is your willingness to learn and apply what you've learned long enough to be able to say, okay, this is now a part of me. And with coaches, once you learn how to coach, whether you go to a particular coaching school or an institute or whatever the case may be, once you feel like you have that part of it down, the next thing you start have to, you have to think about is who do I want as a client? And when I hear people say, well, I can coach anybody, then I just turn and run as fast as I can because (laughs) I'm a firm believer and I, you know, there's going to be people that will debate this, but I'm a firm believer that in any business, there are niches, there are segments where you can specialize in and be known as a, a business proprietor that serves that area. Now you might have two or three different niches that you operate in, which is totally fine, but you've got segmentation. People know you, that you, you have a specific specialty that they 
either need or don't need, want or don't want, but it gives you identity. So when you don't approach it that way, you kind of become a jack of all trades and nobody wants that today. Mm-hmm. You know, pe- people want somebody that has specialties, that has insight, that has knowledge in an area that they're either in or they're trying to get to because it gives them confidence that they've hired a person. Yeah, I think with a lot of newer coaches, they come at it with this, I mean, almost like a little bit of a fear-based mindset where they're a little bit scared to get into that niche because they're worried that there's not going to be enough revenue there. Yes. And I I have to tell you that um, I find that there's almost no niche um, today that that has that real problem. It, it's a mental problem. It is. <laughs> um, if you, if you're out there in the right places and you're, you're doing the right things in terms of your networking, building connections, developing relationships, getting an online presence, which I think is quite honestly is what saved me. Um, I'm a part of uh, several very, very well organized networking groups and I do get business from those groups. But year after year, 65 to 70% of my clients and some of the biggest, best clients I've ever worked with found me on the internet. Mm. And so wherever you decide to mine for clients or, or develop your, your brand, you know, your, your, who you are as a professional and an individual, you got to be in it for the long haul and you got to be willing to devote the time, the energy, the finances into building yourself in that arena. So at some point people can look at you and say, Oh, I know who you are, or I've read your article or I heard your podcast. You have to do it enough to where you become recognizable because if you're not recognizable, then is it, so what? Right. So let's talk a little bit about your online presence. What do you do to generate interest around yourself? How do you get people to find you online? The, I'll tell you all the things I did that that messed me up. Okay. So people will know right up front what I consider to be things you don't want to do. Um, what I realized at some point, coaching like other professional service type businesses is very much a relationship business. You're working with somebody for an extended period of time. My my um my basic coaching program goes a minimum of six months. Mm-hmm. And and I do that because I've realized that in working with all the people that I've had over the years that most people they start to blossom. They start to get into those kind of aha moments anywhere between four and seven months in. And so to have a coaching program that lasts 60 days is worthless because they're never going to be in it long enough to actually graduate in something that they feel good about. So I, you know, I put limits. It could be six months. It could be a year. It just depends on their situation and what they're looking for. Um, but um, I had to figure out what I was going to put out there and what I was going to be known for. Mm-hmm. And once I did that, then I had to start thinking, all right, what's the best way to further that online? Because let's face it, I mean, everybody's online for a whole bunch of things right now. But the problem you have to kind of think about is if if I'm the business, at the, you know, if you've called the coaching company your name, which I don't recommend anybody ever do, but people do it. <laughs> um, if, if you're, you know, if you're out there promoting this and you're the face of the business, what do you do online to, to, to create that kind of human interaction, that human connection, knowing that there isn't any human connection going on in that moment? Right, exactly. What do you do? And so I had to figure out who were my clients 
and where are they going and and where do I need to be so that when they're just surfing out there that the, hopefully we'll bump into each other that's when I was introduced to a particular marketing strategy called content marketing mm-hmm. and content marketing has been around you know it's it's developed and and shifted like most other strategies on the internet um, but it it launched into this other thing called authority based marketing okay which is content delivered in such a manner that people instantly recognize you as an authority figure in that discipline. Okay. So I built a an online um, strategy and a, and a framework using you know my website and other coaching websites and my social media stuff all together to just pump things through that all the time. And the reason I got to that was because I'd wasted a ton of money on Google pay-per-click. Mm. Um, that pretty much drained me, and, and it got absolutely nothing for it. Um, and, and there were other online types of things like that, uh, you know, SEO systems. Pretty much all of them were a waste. Mm. Um, now, it doesn't mean that there's not value in them, but you you need to really go to school on a lot of the things that happen on the Internet to figure out what you want to spend your time and money in and what you want to avoid. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go back to something that you said a second ago that I would love to know a little bit more about, because quite honestly, it is in direct conflict with pretty much what I've heard from a lot of people. And that is don't name your business your name. (laughs) Okay. And, and yeah, look, like anything in the way you run a business or you grow it or you give it a name, you know, there's going to be people that are going to gravitate to one side or the other. But here's the thing that, that I learned early on. If you're going to get into business with the idea of making this thing bigger than yourself, mm. okay, which means that one day you'll have employees and you'll have departments and, you know, maybe based on the kind of business you're in, you could have multiple locations. Um, at some point, People don't think of this early on, but later on when they're faced with it, if you want to sell that business or if you want to bring somebody in that's eventually going to buy ownership in it and run it their way, do do I really want to have to deal with somebody not wanting to buy the business because all Steve Smith coaching? Right. Yeah. I don't want my name and the association with that to be anchored to the business, its viability going forward. So – you know, and, and what does Steve Smith coaching mean? It means nothing. But if you come up with a name that has intrinsic value to it, there, there's, a, there's a reason behind it. it. It has a certain message that people can identify with. That's sellable later on. Mm-hmm. I mean, I work with a lot of companies that are at the tail end and they're trying to figure out how to, how to exit their business. And so you have to go through a whole bunch of stuff to say, okay, what are you doing well? What needs to be tuned up? Who do you need to bring into this to help you, you know, help you actually, you know, get the sale process going? Well, if you've ever worked with a business broker or somebody that, that values businesses and they come in and they do the big report and they tell you basically what your business is worth on the open market, they have dozens and dozens of pages in there saying, okay, this is what's valuable. This is what you need to work on. Sometimes when you have a business that's named you, that's a hindrance. Mm. So I tell people right off the front, look, there's millions of things you can call your business. Don't take the easy way about your own name. Hmm. Find something that your market can gravitate and resonate with and build it on that. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's it's one of those things where when I hear people talk about why you should name it 
your name. That also makes sense. And I guess it just really depends on, like you said, what are your plans for the future? Where do you see yourself going? Do you want to, do you want to be the brand and do you want to stay a one person show or do you have a vision for something that can possibly even live on after you? Well, and so here's the, um, here's the exception to that rule. Uh, and, and pretty much everybody probably knows or has an example of this, but if you've been in an industry that has, has got a certain amount of public notoriety to it, you've been a politician, you've been a sports figure, you've been a movie star, somebody that in, in certain circles, your name has cachet. All right. Mm-hmm. If you're in that situation and you exit that industry, a lot of sports people do this. I remember uh, uh, when uh, John Elway, who was the you know one of the quarterbacks of the Denver Broncos, when he retired from from being a quarterback, he got into a lot of other ventures. He got into car dealerships. He got into restaurants. I mean, and and some of the things he named Elways. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that makes total sense if you're in the same market that you groomed all of your fans and now you want them to come eat at your restaurant. Why not do that? That makes total sense. Right. But he had a recognized brand prior to opening the restaurant or the car dealership or whatever it is any of these guys choose to get into. The average person that wants to start their own business and wants to make a success of that along the way doesn't come with that kind of name recognition to start. (laughs) Exactly. That's true. Well, speaking of having a successful business, if you had it to do over again, what would you say would be something that you might do differently? Or do you have a piece of advice for people that are just getting started, something they should do first? Yes. um, The first thing I would tell people that that are going to get started is Really spend the time getting your head into this game, whether it's coaching or you want to be a consultant for something, whatever it is, decide how much you're willing to do. I'll give you a good example. I'm working with a client now and she's getting into the real estate industry and she's got some pretty big goals, you know, which is good. Um, but when I start getting into the actual, you know, the time management, the focus and, and how much effort she's putting into mining this new career that she's putting together and I find out how small a, amount of time and effort loading to that versus all the other things in her day, which she just likes to do, there's incongruity there. And I finally told her, I said, if you want to be this kind of a real estate professional with, with this kind of income and, and this kind of notoriety in the marketplace, you got to do a whole lot more every single day and every single week to get there. Right. And You're going to have to do it for years. I mean, my son opened up his own business two years ago. He's doing really well with it. But we worked for a whole year before he did this, trying to get him prepared. Mm -hmm. The other thing I tell people is make sure you can live on your own dime for about 18 months. Right. Because that, you know, 18 months to two years is about how long it's going to take you to get to the point where you're just paying for yourself. And the reason a lot of businesses don't survive is because they don't do that kind of upfront planning and they don't find ways to either save or leverage, you know, financial resources. And, and the first thing that happens is, oh my God, you know, I'm, I, I have no money left, you know, and, and what am I going to do? And so they start dropping their services. Mm-hmm. And when you start doing that, it's, it's, I mean, you're dead. Mm-hmm. You, you, there's no way to recover from that. So if you're going to open up a business, whether it's a coaching business or something else, you really got to sit down and do your homework and get the game plan together and get yourself mentally in tune with what you're about to go through. Because the reason so many people don't make it in business today is because it's not easy. 
if it was that easy, we'd all be millionaires with successful businesses. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> exactly. So let's talk just a little bit about something that you just said. And I want to make sure that I understood you correctly. You said that, you know, people start to, to drop things. And I thought that you meant like they start to drop their prices because they get a little bit concerned about yes. being able to stay <clears throat> yes. in business. Is that what you were saying? What would be a suggestion for a new coach as far as someone who's just getting started? How do they go about really understanding their value, that the the value they bring to the industry and how they need to be positioning themselves as far as their pricing goes? Okay, this is a tough one because in any professional service business, um, you're dealing more with intangible than you are tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, and a great example of this is, uh, you know, like a, a coach versus an accountant. Everybody knows what accountants do. You know, they manage your books, they do your taxes, uh, they do other related things to, to keep the finances in your pocket, not in the government's pocket. Everybody understands what that is. So even though much of what they do, you don't see until you get your files at the end of the year or quarterly reports, there's still, there's still an understanding of the value that they bring to the relationship. When you get into coaching, uh, or other types of services that are very intangible in nature, you've got to sit down and think, okay, how am I going to serve this up to where people recognize value? What does the value proposition look like from me? And, you know, some coaches have branched out and, you know, they, they sell, um, you know, kits, um, you know, books and CDs and things like that because that's the tangible aspect of what they do. And they make residual money based on that. New people probably aren't going to go that way. But what you've really got to do is you've got to build kind of a tangible output. So one of the things I suggest to brand new coaches is go out and find people that are in your target zone. Coach them for free. Pick eight or ten people, mm-hmm. you know, different situations, and coach them for three months. And learn from that experience and also get feedback from those folks and at the end, if they, you know, if you really did a good job and they liked it, get some, get testimonials. But pretty much maybe 80% of the clients that I work with, I will either get a written testimonial, a case study, or a video testimonial out of them. Mm-hmm. So I've got gobs of stuff that I can put on my website, I can put on LinkedIn, I can put on YouTube to where people can actually hear the words of other folks in similar situations and how they got past whatever that they were dealing with. That, that, that extends value. And if you're going to do that and you're going to be known as somebody who can actually help people get results, that's what influences your hourly rate. Yeah, definitely. So the testimonials that you get from your clients, you mentioned a couple of places, YouTube and on your website and then in social media, it, are those the are those the main ways that you use testimonials or are there any anything that you know a coach might need to keep in mind as far as you know are the testimonials static or do you always are you refreshing them or are you changing them out Yes I um I'm constantly rotating them So typically you know and, and again being a business coach one of the most valuable sites that I can be on is LinkedIn mm-hmm. And so I will you know, typically rotate every couple of months on a new, um, um, you know, client video testimonial on it because people like watching videos. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I will always uh, kind of rotate and keep a stock of them on my website. And I don't put, you know, a lot of people will have uh, on their on their navigation bar testimonials. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I stopped doing that years ago because I realized that people don't go there. What they do is they go to the pages that they're interested in, and those pages are where I put the testimonials. Right. So I kind of scatter them about. Uh, I have them all loaded in on uh, on YouTube because from YouTube, I can plant them in other websites that won't allow you to upload the video but will allow you to put the link. Mm-hmm. So everything goes on my website because then Google recognizes that I'm the original author of that. And from there, it goes to YouTube. And then from YouTube, it, it'll go to other ancillary sites or from my, my database at home, I can upload either directly to Facebook or to LinkedIn. So I've got kind of a systematic way of where I start and where I go from there and then how frequently I will, um, I will rotate them around. So if you go on my website, you'll see the thing called our clients. And when you go on our clients, that's when you'll find um, a kind of a list of uh, by category of what kind of businesses we deal with. Because sometimes people just want to know, gee, does it know anything about being a dry cleaner, you know, mm-hmm. or, or running a gas station or, or having a manufacturing facility or something like that. The other thing that's on there are client case studies. And they're not, you know, 8, 10, 12-page in-depth things. It's usually one or two pages of here's what the client did, here's where they were, here's what we got through, here's what they, you know, what they succeeded in, here's where they're now. And so it's just a very simple thing for people to look through to be able to say, oh, yeah, that's me. You know, gee, I'd like to be able to get that same thing as well. And so all I suggest people do is most of the time when you're marketing, here's the, here's the biggest mistake any business makes. They think too much in their own head. Mm. You have got to put yourself squarely in the shoes of the person you're trying to communicate with because that's all marketing is. Marketing is just a complicated language. And if you can learn to talk the way your other people think and what they believe in and what they're afraid of and what they want, if you can talk in those terms, your ability to resonate with your ideal client will be such better than just the morass of stuff that goes out there now that people completely block out because it means nothing to them. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's some great advice. Now, one thing that I would love to know is what does the future look like for you? What are you excited about creating next in your business? Okay. Um, one of the areas that I have just avoided like the plague and people tell me, you know, constantly, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? And so finally, all right, I'm going to do it. Um, writing books. Mm, mm-hmm. And, and, what I realized early on was I did not want to be the author of some heavy technical manual, those 300 pages, because unless you've got a real desire and a love for that stuff today, nobody reads that stuff. Okay? <laughs> right. we, we've all gotten to such you know, short attention spans, and I tell people we live in a face world with a Twitter vocabulary. Uh, true enough. <laughs> yeah, so you, you have to learn how to communicate to people given those parameters. So what I started doing was I started writing, and, and I've got a whole bunch of them on my website now, but I started writing ebooks because mm-hmm. ebooks are fairly easy to get through. You know, 20, 30 pages, that's about all you need. Um, and then I started looking at the ones that I wrote and say, gee, which ones can I expand to maybe 100, 120 pages mm-hmm. and make a kind of a, a little short read out of it? And then I got another idea, which I'm actually in the throes of finishing. There is a there's a company out there, a publishing company called Simple Truths, and they make a collection of books. That I think they've got maybe 24, 25, and 
But you can go to different places like um, FedEx office, you know, places that, you know, in the middle of the floor, they might have a, a book kiosk and there's these different right. self, you know, self-improvement books, business books. You'll know these books because they're square. Okay. They're not your typical five by eight or, you know, six by nine. They're square and they've got hard covers on them. And most of them aren't more than about 65 pages long. And they're very, very specific, and they kind of waltz you through the dynamic of that particular subject. And I've got four of them now, and they've, they've all been great reads. And I thought, gee, I'm going to do the same thing. So I've created a six-by-six six book, not a big one, almost more of a like a booklet mm-hmm. in nature. And it's about 40 pages long, but it's called Leadership Axioms. And axioms are just – they're just principles that everybody takes as truths because they've been around for so long and everybody recognizes them to be the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so I created this actual, the, the way this thing started, I created this pocket card and I put 14 of these things, seven on the front, seven on the back, and I give them out at networking events uh, because they're great little things to look at and just you, you can just look at them and it kind of helps you you know, keep your mind in the right spot. Um, mm-hmm. like one of the ones on there is called building relationships. And this is all based on your, your role as a leader and under building relationships, it says acknowledge publicly, admonish privately. Yeah. And they're, they're just little simple things like that. So anyway, my son came to me and he goes, you need to make a book out of that. So <laughs> I, that's what I did. I'm, what I'm doing is coming up with these little short, easy to read kind of things because that will again establish me in my networking circles and to people I'm reaching out to to offer my service as somebody with something unique. So how are you intending to, to use these books? Is it something that you like to give to clients or that you, you, like you said with the, with the card that you hand out at networking meetings? Yes, for, for clients current and past. Um, I send um, I send two copies, one for them and one for them to give to a colleague. For people in networking that I decide to meet with over breakfast or lunch or, you know, where you get down to maybe you and somebody else because you, you like what they do, you want to get to know them better, then I will give them one of these. For people that I write letters to in organizations that I'd like to be introduced mm-hmm. to, uh, because what I here's the other thing I've learned. The vast, vast majority of large-scale companies that could really benefit from executive coaching, they have no resources to contact currently. Mm. If somebody in HR went to the, you know, one of the C-level VPs of the company and said, XYZ person, they're not doing well, but, but we think a lot of them, we want them to do well, we need to get them coaching. Nine times out of ten, the individuals in that particular conversation are going to have no idea where to go to find a coach. Right. And so typically – how do they do it? Well, most of the time they go on the internet uh-huh. and they just see what's out there. So I kind of reverse engineered that and I, I, I created a list of 70 companies in my, my county that all operate in a certain industry. They're, they're heavy technical, they're medical device. They're, Cause I know those, those companies, they just, they have trouble with leadership because leadership is all about people. And when you have people in heavy technology businesses, that's not their orientation. So mm-hmm. I write a little short letter to either the CEO or the director of HR, and I just introduce myself and say, here's what I do. Here's what I'd like to do for you. And, and here's a sample of the kind of things that I can do. And I, I pop the little book in there and I send it off to them. And so they've got a little bit of a value add. Uh, if they just, if they just page, they're going to get benefit just by seeing a couple of the pages in there. And again, it, it imprints. A, a, a thought in their head as to who I am because I've gone to the length to try to, 
bring value to them, even if I never get a call back. Right, right. You know, Steve, this has been a really good conversation, and I've learned so much from our time together. I would love it if we could finish up now with the final five rapid-fire questions. Go. What's one habit or skill that's helped you become unstoppable? Um, Asking really good questions. What's one quality that you feel every successful coach needs to spend some time developing? Um, I would say probably intuitive listening. Recommend one book that's had a big impact, either on your business or on your life. Um, The book is called What Got You Here Won't Get You There, and it was written by a gentleman who I think is one of the kind of the foremost executive coaches in the country today. His name is Marshall Goldsmith. Give us an online resource that you think coaches would love to use in their business and that you couldn't do business without. Oh, that's a tough one. I will give you one that has helped me quite a bit in the online world just with uh, with website activity. Um, the the company's called HubSpot. And finally, how can the listeners best connect? Uh, what social platforms are you on the most and what's your website? Well, uh, the best way, the most direct way to, to see what I'm all about and do is to go to my website, which is www.growthsourcecoaching.com. Um, you can also find me on uh, Steve Smith, business coach. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much right up there at the top. Uh, I have a Facebook page, which is, um, you know, growthsourcecoaching.com. Um, so there, those are like three of the big ways. If you want to see some of the almost 50 videos that I put out, there's a growth source coaching channel on YouTube. Um, but from my website, uh, my email address is there. My office number is there. Um, you can you can actually sign up and, and get a consult. And I consult with a lot of folks, and sometimes they don't really need coaching at that moment in time. What they really need is just help with direction. What do I do next? What do I think about? And I'm more than happy to help them with that. Well, I'll be sure to get all of the links and all of the recommendations onto the show notes page. Steve, I have so much enjoyed speaking with you today. Thanks so much. This has been a great conversation, and and a big part of it is just how you handle it. So, bravo. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Unstoppable Coach Podcast. Be sure to join me next Monday for another inspiring interview. But wait, before you go, I've got a question for you. Are you ready to take action on all the great strategies today's guests shared, but you're not quite sure where to start? I've got you covered with my new action episodes, where I break down how you can implement all their best tips and tricks. Get immediate access to this exclusive free content when you become part of the Unstoppable Coach community. Simply go to unstoppablecoach.co to join or text COACH to 345-345.